This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on YouTube tonight. Strange Planet is the channel. Uh, You may hear some bangs and some loud noises during uh, tonight's transmission, but uh, relax, it's not gunfire. Thank thank goodness, I live in a pretty good neighborhood. (laughs) It's not gunfire. This is Victoria Day long weekend up here in Canada for those of you joining us from the U.S. And uh, we live next door to a small park and people have gathered there in, uh, in some numbers. And uh, they're playing music and lighting fireworks and having a great time. And I have to say, this is it's a small fireworks display, uh, but it's one of the nicest small fireworks displays I have seen in a very long time. Uh, some really incredible, impressive pyrotechnics on display. We've been enjoying them out the, uh, the window. And I feel like these colorful bursts somehow, I don't know, represent all of the pent-up emotions and creativity and anxiety and and uh, and so forth that people uh, are feeling obviously during uh, this pandemic and people have had enough i'm sure there are many more people gathered outside next door than the uh, latest stay at home uh, order allows for and uh, all i can say is god bless them and god speed enjoy those fireworks enjoy the company of your fellow man man enjoy 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 so you may hear some fireworks uh, going off in the background. It may rattle the windows, as they say. Before we get rolling, a birthday wish. Happy birthday to a longtime listener and viewer of this uh, live stream, Heidi Tan. Heidi, I hope you had a wonderful day. Happy birthday to you and many, many more. And we have a treat for you tonight. This is kind of an extra birthday present, Heidi. A researcher, author, academic, Joseph P. Farrell, is with us for the entire program. Uh, Joseph, of course, a recognized scholar whose credentials include a PhD in philosophy from the University of Oxford. His his literary contribution is a veritable resume unto itself, covering such fields as Nazi Germany, sacred literature, physics, uh, finances, the Giza pyramids, music theory. 
He's a renowned researcher with an eye to assimilate a tremendous amount of background material. And uh, Joseph is able to condense the best scholastic research and publication and draw insightful new conclusions on complex and controversial subjects. He's so prolific. I, I literally cannot keep up and provide you with an accurate list of all his books. But here's a here's but a small sampling. Uh, Nazi International, the Giza Death Star, the Giza Death Star Deployed, the Giza Death Star, sorry, the Giza Star Destroyed, the SS Brotherhood of the Bell, Reich of the Black Sun, the Cosmic War, Secrets of the Unified Field, Roswell and the Reich, the Nazi Connection, Genes, Giants, Monsters and Men, Babylon's Banksters, Transhumanism, a Grimoire of Alchemical Agendas, Thrice Great Hermetica and the Janus Age, The Third Way, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, Hidden Finance, those are but a few. Great pleasure to welcome Joseph back to the program. Hey, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Richard. Thanks for having me back, and, and congratulations on, on the partiers outside your window. More power <laughs> to them. <laughs> well, exactly. We need it. We need it, I tell you. It's been so long, Joseph, I've kind of lost the thread here. What are you working on recently? What have you been working on? Well, I just came out with a book uh, called The Tower of Babel Moment. Uh, it's a Lulu book on on the Tower of Babel story in, in ancient literature, not just not just the biblical version, but some of the other texts that mention it. And uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun book, but but not so much when you consider it with all the others. So that's basically we're up to thirty seven books now with that one. So wow. 37, my word. You're just writing and working around the clock, it sounds like. But So we appreciate your time. You're very generous with your time. We should also point out uh, the uh, the YouTube news and views from the Nefarium. And, of course, they can uh, go to uh, GizaDeathStar.com, right? GizaDeathStar.com. Can they right. can they stream it from there, or do they have to go to YouTube? Uh, they can do either with the, with the news and views. Uh, that's on YouTube, and it's also posted on my website. And then the members area stuff, of course, is just available on the website. All right. I want to um, talk about something that you've, some blogs, uh, some recent postings on GizaDeathStar.com. Uh, and one of them has to do with something called genetically engineered magnetoproteins. And I think many of us have seen these YouTube videos or, or uh, videos on Instagram or where, wherever of people taking a magnet after they've received the vaccine and holding it up to their arm. And I mean, wh what's happening here? People are saying that there's some magnetic property in these vaccines. Does that make any sense to you? Well, it does make sense to me because if you go back about uh, right to the beginning of, the, of what I'm calling the plans pandemic, if you go back uh, to the arrest of, of Dr. Charles Lieber, the Harvard chemistry professor, he was involved with the Wuhan Virology Laboratory. But the interesting thing about Dr. Lieber is that he specialized in nanotechnology and, and delivery systems for drugs and so on and so forth. So that's a little clue that something's going on here. And then the other thing to note, I think, about these vaccines, particularly the, the messenger RNA vaccines, is that they have apparently employed some sort of nanotechnology. There's another article I blogged about uh, prior to the one that you mentioned that was from Johns Hopkins, where they took some nanotechnology and created a little delivery system of an unfolding pod. I don't know how else to describe it. It looks kind of like a very, very small, artificial-looking flower bulb. And it, the petals, 
so to speak, on this thing open up, and that's what delivers the drug. But they will embed themselves into the cell tissue, into your, into the tissue on the inside of your body, and then open up and deliver these drugs. Well, the interesting thing is a lot of these, these proteins have a kind of metallic basis to them. So I'm not surprised that some people claim to be, you know, magnetized where they've received the shot. But I've also heard stories, to be quite honest, Richard, that, that some of the uh, swab that they use, you know, to, to sterilize your skin before they give you an injection also contains uh, magnetic material. I don't know if that's true or not. But given what we've seen with how they've finagled with the numbers and everything else, how they've exempted the pharmacy companies from liability with these with these so-called vaccines, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that there's some sort of metallic content into these into these vaccines that they're delivering that could perhaps temporarily magnetize you. So you mentioned the um, these ingestible capsules. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea, you know, customized to uh, deliver drugs. Uh, this is a, at MIT, I think. This this was yes. designed, or or uh, so, and they can be controlled. If I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, using Bluetooth wireless technology. So uh, yeah, yeah. Like just leaving the the vaccine and the magneto properties aside for a moment, and just talking about these pills. What's what's the, What's the idea here that that someone, a third party, could control the release of the medication that's in your system? Right. They they have created these technologies, um, and I think if you if you do a search, there's even a similar patent out from from Bill Gates for these for these nanotechnology delivery systems that respond to certain frequencies. You know, like your your television remote control or your VCR remote control or whatever will have a specific frequency that only that particular VCR or television will respond to. So they can do this now with the nanotechnology. So they can send out a signal and cause these little pod things to open up and deliver their drugs. And who knows what else they, you know, what else they might be doing with this stuff. But yeah, I think that's possible. I mean, well, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, what, I know. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that they, they are doing this at a time when they're rolling out 5G. You know, they're putting up all these transmission towers and so on. So we're looking, you know, we're looking, in my opinion, Richard, at a system where the plan scamdemic is being used really, I think, to implement something much broader because I think they're planning to tie this to a social credit system such as they have in communist China where you know we'll deliver your drugs we'll we'll deliver your digital currency but if you only if you behave yourselves so you know they're they're setting up a literal uh, a literal beast system I don't know what else to call it that's what my friend Catherine right. Fitz calls it and I think she's pretty correct on that right it certainly sounds all the world like that. It's 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 quite chilling. Uh, up here in Ontario, we're still languishing under. Um, I call Ontario now the land that time forgot because uh, we we look south to the United States and every, everyone uh, it seems to be opening up out there. We see you know uh, baseball stadiums filled to capacity, and uh, we have yet another uh, stay-at-home order into mid-June. 
And uh, they're holding this carrot over our head that if we get uh, they're doing they're going to open up, they say, in phases. So the first phase, if 60 percent of the population is vaccinated, will give you a little bit of your normal back. If then in phase two, if 70 percent, you'll get a little sliver of your normal life back. And then finally, phase three, we need 80 percent of you vaccinated. I mean, I I don't want to argue the efficacy or the safety of vaccines and people want to have the vaccine. That's certainly their business. And those that don't, that's their business. But this this level of coercion, uh, you know, have we forgotten about the Nuremberg Code? I mean, how can how can people have such short memories? Well, this is what bothers me about it, Richard, is is they are clearly tying this 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 uh, plan scandemic to basic fundamental human rights. And, and as you as you indicate, it's, it's a basic violation of them. I mean, my word, your country was founded on, on the recognition of these basic rights. So was this one uh, and, of course, the European countries. And it's interesting to me that if if these vaccines were so safe, why why are they resorting to such draconian measures to push people into receiving them? In fact, I think what you see happening in this country, to a certain extent, is a bit of backlash now, because they have pushed that agenda so hard, and it's been so in-your-face on all the national media and regional media and local media down here, and I'm sure it's probably the same up, up there in Canada, that there is now kind of a, a backlash and a reticence because I've, I noticed on, on my local news report about three days ago on the, on the local radio station, they were complaining that the number of people getting vaccinated had sort of peaked and had stabilized. In other words, they're not seeing any increase in the numbers of people getting vaccinated. In fact, it's kind of fallen off. So now you have governors in various states in this country promising, uh, you know, $300 checks if you go get your vaccines and so on and so forth. So I'm thinking there's another agenda here besides just, just the COVID virus. There's another agenda, and it's a social agenda. They want everybody hooked up into this system. Right, right. We have these uh, pop-up vaccine uh, fairs, I guess, if you will, <laughs> you know, with balloons and hot dogs for the kiddies. And uh, uh, in some places in, in Canada, the, the children do not need parental consent. Uh, so someone can give your child a jab um, without you knowing about it first uh, beforehand. I, I just think this is absolutely outrageous. It is uh, outrageous. You know, it's yeah, it is, I, I'm totally agreed with you there, and and we've had similar cases down here, Richard. So it's not confined just to Canada. Um, it, it, to me, it's totally outrageous. And again, what's the real agenda here? You know, what bothers me, Richard, and and I, you know, I've tried to be low key in my in my response to people that have have either urged the vaccine or talked about the vaccine or asked me if I've got one. And my answer is no. And, and I had a friend, uh, was over at a friend's about two weeks ago, and she had received it and asked me why I was so against them. And I said, well, you know, would you get on an airplane that had never been tested, that the FAA approves the airplane for, for civilian air flight and exempts the company that makes the airplane from any liabilities if there are any adverse aeronautical events? 
Well, most people would say, no, of course not. But this, basically, this is what we're being asked to do with these vaccines. These things have not been adequately tested. We're hearing stories already on, on the Internet from various doctors and so on who are, who are very worried about the occurrence of prion diseases, you know, and, and that's what they're calling it in their, in their studies and literature. But basically what they're really saying is mad cow disease and other neurological effects, Alzheimer's and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's another agenda going on here, Richard, and, and the fact that they're, they're opening this up for children to take it without parental consent, this means there's something else going on. This, this is not about COVID. You also, um, I, I believe this was in one of your more recent news and views from the Nefarium uh, podcasts or mm-hmm. vodcasts, I, I guess, or vidcasts. Uh, it had to do with the uh, one of the discoverers of the uh, uh, HIV. He isolated the um, yes. human, uh, and 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 he, uh, he, Nobel Prize winner from two thousand and eight, I think you you mentioned, mm-hmm. and he is attributing these variants to the vaccine. Right, right. Tell me a little and- bit more about that. Well, you know, this is this was the suspicion that began to be raised when when they f- they first announced the nature of of some of these vaccines. Now, to be clear, not all the vaccines are these messenger RNA vaccines, but the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are. And what these vaccines do is they literally tell your your own body to produce the spike protein for the virus and in the hopes that this is going to stimulate the production of, of antigens to it. And the problem that many people had when they first announced what they were doing was that this will modify your DNA in some, some form or fashion. And that led almost immediately, if you have been following the alternative literature on, on the corona story on the, on the Internet, this led almost immediately to some doctors positing, well, this, these vaccines could cause variants. They could perhaps even create them through the messenger RNA. And all of a sudden, this is what we're seeing. You know? So <laughs> you know, where does it stop? And just before we went on the air... I received an email from somebody saying that they're now proposing more nanotechnology injections to prevent the clotting that some of the vaccines are causing. Oh, <laughs> dear so, Lord. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, where does this end? And this is my problem from the beginning, Richard, is the human body is a magnificently complex organism. And in our hubris, we have charged in with these messenger RNA vaccines and with no intergenerational long-term testing of their potential effects. This is what bothers me. This is the GMO story all over again. And we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. We're already seeing some pretty bizarre and horrifying adverse reactions and that's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is just the beginning of the story. So now we're going to make matters worse <laughs> by injection of more of the same, you know. <laughs> I, I just don't get it. This, this is not the behavior of rational people. A couple of weeks ago, or 
certainly from the beginning, and then, but up until a couple of weeks ago, anybody who dared mention that uh, this uh, virus may have uh, been concocted uh, during gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Virology Lab, uh, they would have called that person a, you know, a crackpot and a conspiracy theorist. And then now we start to hear Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky uh, just raking Anthony Fauci over the coals in these uh, Senate committee hearings. It's 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 not sounding so crazy anymore, is it? No, it's not sounding so crazy. Let's go back and remember that Dr. Fauci was doing this gain-of-function research back during the Obama administration, I think circa 2012, 2014, somewhere in there. And President Obama heard about it and actually shut that research down. He said it was too dangerous. So what did Fauci do? Well, he took it and he moved it to the Wuhan laboratory and funded it with with federal funds. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he has a lot to be scrutinized for. And let's not forget that his wife is very chummy-chummy with Bill Gates. So there's yet another connection. So it's looking to me like they, you know, they have foisted a what, to my uh, analysis, is a false narrative about the, the nature of this virus. There has been a number of papers questioning whether the virus is, was ever adequately even isolated. And on top of that, then we had all of the CDC and various countries playing with the numbers on this thing. And now all of a sudden... They have shifted gears, and they are fiddling with the numbers again. And as far as I'm concerned, Richard, they are not reporting adequately the numbers of adverse events. I saw just before we came on the air a study of uh, comparison of the actual deaths from from flu vaccines, which I think in the the case of the swine flu uh, vaccine craze a few years ago, was somewhere in the 50s, 50 deaths from the vaccines in the United States, and they stopped the vaccines. Well, Richard, we've had over 3,000 deaths that that the mainstream media has admitted so far. And they're, right. they, they keep admitting, uh, pardon me, they keep administering these vaccines to people. And some of the adverse reactions, Richard, just, just you know, they, they make your hair stand on end. Well, now the CDC is is talking about uh, inflammation of the heart in, in yes. very young people. Well, Joseph, we'll take a, a time out, come back, discuss further, much to discuss. Uh, we're not going to go wall-to-wall COVID uh, tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, you know, there's other other equally pressing, perhaps, um, things to discuss, or maybe not equally, but uh, certainly important and uh, worth discussing. Joseph Farrell, my guest, uh, GizaDeathStar.com, the website, so many books, too many to mention. Uh, we'll touch on some of those as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Joseph Farrell, the uh, author of The Giza Death Star Deployed, 
Giza Death Star uh, destroyed, the SS Brotherhood of the Bell, the Cosmic War, the Third Way, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, Hidden Finance, uh, just uh, on and on. 37 books now and counting. And uh, we're so delighted that uh, Joseph can stay with us for the entire two hours. And we will open up the phone lines probably towards the second, uh, the beginning of the second hour. Uh, and we'll also take your questions if you're in the uh, YouTube live chat. Please just fire away and Ryan will uh, sort of cultivate those or curate those, if you will, and uh, send those my way. And uh, I'll read those over the air, as many as we can. So uh, we were talking about I was mentioning Senator Rand Paul and questioning uh, Anthony Fauci about this gain of research, or sorry, gain of function research. And we even heard from the uh, the bat lady uh, who was doing the um, uh, Dr. Shi uh, Zhengli, I believe her name is, it was doing this uh, gain of function research. She's acknowledged it. She's mentioned, I think, specifically uh, Anthony Fauci and, and, and the NIH. And, of course, Dr. Fauci's organization is under the auspices of the NIH. It seems like uh, – and, and if this is true, I mean, if it, if it happens to be true, we find out. I mean, does that not make Fauci culpable for this whole monstrosity? Well, unfortunately, uh, it, under any normally functioned system of justice, in my opinion, Richard, it would. But unfortunately, you know, we're looking at the residue of, of several years of, of liability immunity for these pharmacy companies precisely on the subject of vaccine. And this, this is what ha- has happened with these vaccines. They've been brought out without normal uh, FDC testing procedures in this country and, you know, specifically exempted from any liabilities. But yes, I, I certainly think it makes him culpable, and I'll go even further, uh, Richard, and say that, uh, and I'm sure it's probably true up there, uh, as it is down here, the, the mainstream profitainment media, as I like to call them, have basically shut out any discussion of the contravariant science to some of this stuff. In other words, you don't hear from the doctors that are questioning the vaccines themselves that are questioning the testing procedures that are questioning whether or not it was ever adequately isolated and so on and so forth those doctors are out there and they're out there in the hundreds if not thousands of people but there's been a kind of complete media blackout which is not surprising given you know that big pharma has so many commercials on those networks so as far as i'm concerned we're looking at media culpability for a lot of this stuff as well i would agree with you uh, complicit by their their silence. They're simply, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, I guess, on the radio, but they've, they've just been carrying the water for yep. uh, authority figures. And this is not, you know, what they're supposed to do in a, in a healthy uh, democracy. Um, I've talked to a number of economists, one, in fact, from Simon Fraser University, who just uh, uh, published kind of a meta-analysis of 80 other cost-benefit analysis analyses of uh the lockdown and uh they all say the same without exception they all say the same thing the the benefit of locking down is negligible at best all you're doing is delaying mortality but the costs uh in terms of um, suicide uh, mental health obviously the economy itself businesses lost are, um, delayed surgeries uh, and, and so forth are incalculable. Mm-hmm. Like w- we we may not we may not be able to survey this damage for some time and get a full 
a sort of a full scope of of the damage that's been done. And yet, as you say, the mainstream media is not interested in sp- speaking truth to power. To use that old cliche, that was that's that's what they used to do. It's interesting if you go back and 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 the, the Wayback Machine on YouTube and watch sixty minutes with with Mike Wallace, say thirty maybe forty years ago, the way he would grill people in big pharma vaccine manufacturers boy you, we don't see that anymore do we no we don't and this and i'm so glad you mentioned you know mike wallace in, in 60 minutes because that kind of journalism is all but absent anymore and you would think especially during a a you know a so-called pandemic that there would be a, an effort made at least to interview people that are questioning the narrative that's being put out there by by the healthcare authorities, and what's disturbing more even more to me, Richard, <coughs> pardon me, is that we've been hearing the mantra, you know, trust the science, trust the science, but the problem is we're being asked to trust only one narrative of that science. So, in other words, the other victim here with this pandemic is going to be science itself. Because science is not about authority figures. Science is about data and so on and so forth, actual hard results. And again, trust me, there is, there's a lot of, of data out there on the Internet for people willing to look for it. But that's the problem. They're, they're not looking for it, and in some cases, you know, they're being censored off of the Internet and so on and so forth. So this is not science. What they're erecting here is a so-called scientific priesthood, that's going to pronounce all of this stuff safe. Well, you know, where where is the long-term intergenerational risk assessment and testing for these experimental vaccines? Answer, there is none. There is none. Well, they, they tried these mRNA uh, vaccines before, uh, and I'm remembering the animal studies, the, the ferrets, Yep. Uh, do you remember those studies with the ferrets and 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 then Very vaguely? But I I'm familiar. You know, you mentioned it, and I'm nodding my head because I, I do remember those studies, but I don't remember much detail about them. Well, I mean, I guess the big picture was that uh, once they were then exposed to the the um, you know the wild virus, mm-hmm. each every single ferret in the study died. Each yep. every single ferret, and so they abandoned. Uh, the the, uh, the research in that, uh, and now here they are again, warp speed. And uh, um, anyway, it's um, it's 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 chilling what's going on. Uh, what other what what are the you know I, I look at it as a, as a beta test because the next time you know they'll they'll try and ram something else through uh, on us now that they've sufficiently beaten us down. It's like, you know, oh, please, you know, give me the vaccine. I don't care. I just give me the vaccine. I want my life back. But what else? What other what other agendas are at work here? Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. What do you see happening that's sort of being piggybacked um, onto this uh, this pandemic that that uh, whether it's social engineering or. Um, I don't know, a, a new monetary system? What, what, what do you see happening? Well, I see, I see all of that involved. In other words, I, I, I'm like you. I view this, Richard, as a beta test, but it's a beta test of social engineering techniques. It's a beta test of distracting people from what's really going on. And for me, for me the biggest part of this whole plan scandemic is, is all of a sudden now we're talking about vaccine passports, 
you've got to have your passport or be able to show that you've been uh, vaccinated to go into a certain store or get on an airline or whatever. So in other words, that to me is the indicator that this is really about control. They want to lock down the population. They want to get them all, you know, chipped or whatever it is they're doing with these vaccines. And they want to, you know, they, they are making a huge push for a digital currency. And, and the way I'm looking at it is just like I said at the top of the hour. I think what they're really intending is to couple all of this into a social credit system with digital currency. Now, folks, I, you know, I, I'm echoing Catherine Fitz here. She and I have talked about this until we're blue in the face. But a digital currency of that nature tied to a social credit system is not a currency. It's a corporate coupon. And they can adjust the value of that coupon any time they wish. So, in other words, be good little boys and girls, get your vaccines, so, in other words, the response to this program is, I think, the beta test. How much of the population can we persuade to go along with this voluntarily? And the answer, I think, that they're getting is not as much as they thought that they would. Otherwise, we wouldn't see this, this ratcheting up of uh, inducements and, you know, as you said, balloons and parties and offers of cash and so on and so forth to go out and take these vaccines. So, you know, the the story or the narrative or the agenda, I think, is beginning to break down a little bit for them. Let's hope so. All right, Joseph, we'll uh, take a time out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come back. And uh, so many things to discuss. So little time. Joseph Farrell, uh, GizaDeathStar.com, the website. News and views from the Nefarium. You can catch that on YouTube and also through the, uh, the website. Back with more of our discussion and uh, your calls and questions from the YouTube live chat as well. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We're back with Joseph Farrell. And uh, we are just uh, kicking the can around on a lot of uh, different topics, or we will be. We've been focusing, obviously, on uh, the pandemic, the lockdowns, the vaccines, and so forth. Um, the Great Reset. It's funny, um, you, you may remember that I'm um, married to a, a lovely Greek girl, and so you know we're constantly you know, following what's happening over there in Greece. And their prime minister recently was doing some sort of a, uh, a greeting on, on Twitter. And we noticed on his uh, desk in the background was a copy of um, Carl Schwab's uh, Great Reset book. Mm -hmm. And um, so what, uh, in your estimation, uh, is sort of the status of the Great Reset? Has the World Economic Forum uh, been successful in, I guess, putting whatever measures they have in mind in place? Or are they sort of playing defense now? Because as you mentioned... People are starting to rise up. I read uh, recently that uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 percent of people at the FDA and the CDC are not taking the vaccine for whatever reason. Uh, so uh, is the World Economic Forum, are they sort of back on their heels or are they pushing ahead with this great reset, whatever it is? Well, I think they're pushing ahead, but I think they're pushing ahead, Richard, out of desperation. In other words, you know, uh, it's it's the 
best off, best defense is a good offense sort of strategy. But I do think that uh, some of the wheels have come off the cart, so to speak, during all of this. And you know, Schwab himself is is pressing even more heavily to get you know to get everybody vaccinated and so on and so forth. But again, to me, this is the surest sign that we're dealing with really what is a financial and economic objective. And their their desperation is they they want to hold on to power. That's that's the bottom line. And it's coming off the rails. And they're clamping down. And they're in a hurry. And I view that with some optimism because if you're if you're that desperate and if you're that uh, committed to your agenda and you're in a hurry, you're going to make some very basic mistakes. And I think we're seeing them starting to make some of those mistakes because the hysteria has ratcheted up, particularly in this country, against those governors and, and city officials and so on that have basically said enough of this, you know, we're opening back up and so on and so forth. And the hysteria down here is <laughs> against some of these people is, is just kind of off the charts. But more and more people are, are just openly defying uh, some of these lockdown orders. I know it's been going on up there in Canada. It certainly is going on down here in, in the United States. So I think, you know, I think Mr. Globaloni is acting increasingly desperate and hysterical. How much of the lockdown uh, has to do, and the Great Reset, is, is about um, preparing people for this fourth industrial revolution, particularly robotics, artificial intelligence. And we've heard figures about job displacement in North America, something like 60 million workers and this is not like a recession where the jobs disappear and then they come back these are like 60 million jobs gone forever and then we see you know uh uh people floating ideas of uh, guaranteed universal income uh, because you know what are these 60 million people going to do uh they're going to sit on their hands right so is how much of of what's going on is about is about pre- preparing us for basically a, a world without jobs well i think a lot of it is at least in their thinking but i'll tell you something richard there's something very peculiar going on in in railroads and and people that know me know where i'm going to go with this because my dad was a railroad engineer not you know not the locomotive kind but the engineer that inspects the tracks and so on and so forth when i was very very young and um he got me fascinated with with steam locomotives and if you've been following what's been happening with railroads in this country, the Union Pacific Railroad has been restoring steam locomotives at a breathtaking rate. They just finished restoration of an articulated uh, big boy steam locomotive, 4884, to you know haul freight and so on and so forth. Now, the interesting thing is Union Pacific isn't investing all this money to basically create a locomotive works in Cheyenne, Wyoming to, to enhance railroad heritage days. There's something else going on. And my suspicion is that with the increasing reliance of, of global technology on digital systems, they've suddenly realized that they've exposed themselves and their, their precious systems to a little thing called electromagnetic pulse, or for that matter, hacking cyber hacking and so on and so forth we just saw the colonial pipeline takedown so i think mr globaloni is also kind of hoist by his own petard they're trying to put in digital systems 
and particularly digital currencies. So what you're seeing as pushback, at least here in the States, I can't speak for up there for the Canadian provinces, but in, in several states in this country, we've seen some pushback of a very unusual nature against this idea of digital currency. South Carolina passed a measure recently to acknowledge as legal tender for all transactions bullion coin. And interestingly enough, that, that legislation did not state that the coin had to be denominated in dollars. Texas opened its own state bullion depository, and so on and so forth. So you're seeing some very unusual pushback that tells me that somebody, at least in some of these states, knows what the game is, and they're acting accordingly uh, to, to secure some sort of basis for currency should they try to roll out a digital system with their helicopter money and the missing jobs and a universal basic income and so on and so forth. So you mentioned uh, the colonial pipeline and uh, the the uh, cyber criminals that, that effectively shut that down and, and caused, uh, you know, long lineups at the uh, the gas stations and so forth. And, and uh, really kind of, a, I think, a warning shot of things to come. Uh, and then, then Colonial admits that they ended up paying $5 million in ransom in cryptocurrency. Um, I, I think... We're probably not getting the full story here. What What are you hearing about what really happened? I mean, was this really just an isolated, you know, an incident of, of uh, some gang of cyber criminals that decided, you know, to roll the dice and see what would happen? And lo and behold, yeah, they paid up. I mean, what what, what are you hearing about this? Well, I've heard basically the same thing, but I'm like you. I don't think that we've heard all of the story. And one of the interesting things about the colonial thing that I don't know what, how it was reported up there, but some of the media down here was, re, was citing government officials and so on saying things to the effect that this is, there, there will be more of this. So, you know, are we looking at a false flag, you know, to prep people for more Internet uh, activity of that nature? I don't know. But, uh, you know, to me it's very suspicious. And Richard... About a week after that story broke, there was a story about the interstate bridge on Interstate 40 from Arkansas into Memphis, Tennessee. The bridge was shut down because they had discovered a crack in one of the pylons on that bridge. And I've seen pictures of this crack, and the top of the crack is is a perfect straight line. Now, the effect of that bridge shutdown was that barge traffic on the Mississippi River south and north of of Memphis, Tennessee came to an absolute standstill. So somebody appears to me to be working awfully hard to take down the the infrastructure of of the United States in, in these kinds of creative ways. So I think Colonial Pipeline is kind of the tip of an iceberg that that they're getting ready to do something major in order to push their agenda. All right, another time out, and then back with more of my discussion with Joseph Farrell, your calls, and uh, we will start uh, taking some questions from the YouTube live chat. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, Joseph, I'm just going to uh, 
wade into the uh, the YouTube live chat questions here. We have a smattering of uh, more qu- uh, good questions. Uh, St. Michael asks, uh, Joseph, what about the Apollo? Oh, he wants to uh, to go uh, secret space program, I guess, here, or uh, something related to uh, maybe the lunar landing hoax. Joseph, uh, what about the, the Apollo 12 ascent stage experiment crashing into the lunar surface and it rang like a bell for a long period of time. Well, I don't know that it rang like a bell. You wouldn't hear it. If it did, it's it's uh, in space. You wouldn't hear that. So anyway, Joseph, any thoughts on the Apollo 12 ascent stage experiment crashing into the uh, lunar yeah. surface? Uh, that individual is is actually citing the, the language of the scientists that, that uh, reported on that experiment. That was their words, that it rang like a bell. And what... what they're suggesting, and, and my thought is that it's 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 partially due to the heavy metal content on the surface of the moon. Because what the Apollo people discovered was there was a lot of very heavy metal. They found it very difficult to drill into the surface of of the moon in some of those landing sites. And the other thing that it suggests is that the the moon itself is not of uniform content. There's uh, I don't want to use the word hollow because that's going to suggest all the wrong things to people. But there's uh, apparently areas of, of much less density in the moon that made it ring in that fashion. So in other words, it, it's uh, an experiment that connotes some regularity in the structure of the moon, which I find very interesting because you had, uh, I think in the early 70s, I don't remember exactly when it was, but Sputnik magazine, the old Soviet uh, uh, periodical, published a set of articles by some Soviet scientists that actually had the thesis that the moon was a big, huge artificial spaceship because it was, you know, it was impossible to explain the physics of how it got there doing what it's doing on any of the natural models for, for its existence, you know, the capture model, the fission from Earth model, and so on and so forth. So I, you know, I give some credence to those stories and even to that theory because, you know, it's it's like uh, Isaac Newton said about the moon, the moon's the only thing that gives me a headache because he didn't really have a good way of explaining how it got there doing what it's doing. Right, right. Uh, John Porter asks, if the moon landing was a hoax, why didn't the Russians call our bluff? I, I mean, you know, if I'm if I'm understanding, you know, your work correctly, Joseph, you you think that it's not that we didn't land on the moon. It's that we got there, you know, much sooner than we've been told. Or am I wrong? Well, not a little of both. Um, I'm not a I'm not an Apollo hoaxer, but by the same token, I'm one of these people that thinks that perhaps we didn't get there and, and more importantly, get off of the thing in exactly the way we've been told. And my biggest problem with the, with the standard narrative, Richard, is, and, and again, I agree with your listener, the Soviets could easily have exposed it if they wanted to, if it was a hoax. So either they're going along with the hoax or there's something else involved here. To to my thinking, Richard, if you look at those videos of uh, the lunar excursion module on the moon, and then you see the uh, the top part of it taking off from the moon, and I, I mentioned this as a kid, I was watching one of these things. I think it was Apollo 17 with my dad. You know, I'm sitting down out on the floor in the living room. My dad is smoking his pipe, 
and the lunar excursion module just sort of pops up and flies away at a more or less uniform velocity. And when I saw that, I turned around and looked at my dad, and I said, rockets don't do that. You know, a rocket <laughs> accelerates geometrically per unit of time. So, you know, it starts slow and it gets faster. But this thing just sort of pops up and flies away. And when I, when I saw that, that was kind of the beginning of, of an idea in my mind that perhaps they were using uh, some other technology other than a rocket on that lunar excursion module to get them off the moon. Uh, so I, that's my take on it. Uh, I think that there was perhaps some alternative technology involved in the Apollo missions. Uh, let's see. Someone had a question here, the, the old uh, chestnut about the Van Allen belts. Oh, it's uh, YY. Uh, how did the astronauts pass through the Van Allen belts uh, two times without being burned to a crisp? <laughs> well, the problem, this is, this is an old saw. Uh, let's look at the Van Allen belts. Radiation exposure is, you have to be exposed over a prolonged period of time to certain levels of radiation to get sick. Now, I've never been convinced that their journey to the moon was sufficient to expose them to that kind of radiation, but let's assume that it was. There are other ways to get to the moon because the Van Allen belts, if you look at them, are open at the poles. So my other problem with Apollo is did the, did the um, trajectory, did the telemetry of the flight actually go through those holes? And the other problem is, is if you are accepting, as I do, the idea that there is perhaps some sort of exotic technology involved in getting us there, that technology could conceivably have been used as shielding to uh, the Van Allen radiation. So there's, you know, there's many explanations for it, but you have to make a, a long series of assumptions, you know, to to uh, to explain some of these mysteries. Just as you have to make a long series of assumptions to believe in the the Apollo hoax theory. All right, uh, Solar Warden asks uh, Joseph, "What's your take on all the UFO con uh, converge and supposed disclosure coming?" More of the same letter agencies controlling the narrative. So June 1st, of course, we're expecting, uh, well, I'm not, my expectations are quite low. We're supposed to, you know, hear something from the Pentagon vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, UFOs and so forth. What, uh, what, what's your take? Are we in for another big disappointment here on June 1st? I suspect so. Um, my, I, I'm with you. You know, my expectations are rather low. Uh, but that said, if you look at the space stories in the last few years, it appears to me that they've been trying to carefully prepare narratives for people. Uh, we had, you know, we've had the asteroid threat narrative back during the Chelyabinsk meteor incident, and then all of a sudden that morphed over the next couple of years into, well, we've got to go out and explore all these asteroids and mine all these asteroids and that to me was a huge clue because this was occurring a few years after the financial meltdown of 2008 and the bailouts and during that period we were told that the the amount of derivatives sloshing around in the world financial system was somewhere between 14 and 17 quadrillion dollars which is several times the gross domestic product of the entire planet. 
So all of a sudden we start hearing about asteroid mining, and all of a sudden we find our uh, asteroids out there whose uh, mineral worth has been calculated to be, oh, magically, somewhere between 14 and 17 quadrillion dollars. Well, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. And this is a nice, convenient way, you know, to wipe out all that bad paper on the books. Uh, so that's the other thing. And now, you know, we're we're hearing about ETs, and supposedly the Pentagon is releasing all of these videos, and the New York Times is writing stories about it, and people are getting all excited. And the fact of the matter is, this is not the first time the New York Times or the Washington Post have written about UFOs. They've written about them for, for decades. Uh, so I suspect we're either in for a big nothing burger or... They're going to use this uh, upcoming quote-unquote disclosure event to prep some sort of narrative regarding space, and that's, that's, my, that's my bet. All right. We'll uh, take a time out here at the uh, top of the hour, come back one more hour uh, with Joseph Farrell. We'll take more questions from the YouTube live chat and open up the phone lines. 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area and toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. On Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto. And Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Howdy to those of you streaming us live at zoomerradio.ca and, of course, on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And, uh, again, a special hello to everyone gathered in the YouTube live chat. Uh, I will be taking questions uh, this hour from the live chat as well. Ryan, my uh, live stream producer, will gather those together and send those to me to read on air. And uh, Joseph Farrell stays with us this hour. Again, a recognized scholar, uh, PhD in philosophy from the University of Oxford, and uh, the author of some 37 books, including Hidden Finance, Covert Wars, and Breakaway Civilizations, The Third Way. Uh, and again, the website is GizaDeathStar.com, and uh, you can read his uh, blogs there. Also, his YouTube channel, News and Views from the Nefarium. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I'm not familiar or uh, I've never met uh, or was ever that familiar with Mark McClandlish, Mark McClandlish the UFO researcher, and um, you noted his passing recently. Tell, me a little, tell us a little bit about who Mark was and the unusual circumstances of his death. Well, Mark was one of the speakers uh, at the 2014 uh, Secret Space Program uh, conference in San Mateo, California, along with me and... Uh, Richard Dolan, Catherine Fitz, and, and some other people. And he had been involved kind of, I, I don't want to say as kind of a mainstream uh, ufology researcher, but he, his forte was that he was a mechanical uh, artist. In other words, he his specialty was being able to draw three-dimensional representations of aircraft and things like this from blueprints or what have you. So he was in pretty high demand for, as an illustrator for 
magazines like Popular Aviation or Popular Mechanics and so on and so forth. And he got interested in UFOs and came out with a series of drawings on what was called the Alien Reconstruction Vehicle or the Alien Recovery Vehicle in some instances and uh, had delved into this uh, story that had been floating around in ufology for some time and did technical drawings of, of this craft based on what people had told him. And he presented this at the conference, and he and I had been in touch kind of off and on after that conference. Very nice man. Uh, he was uh, very well-spoken and courteous man, not the kind of individual that, you know, in my short acquaintance with him, I would ever have assumed would blow his brains out with a shotgun, which is what's the story. Uh, he died just this last April, apparently, of, of self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head. And I, I'm just not buying the story, Richard, um, because almost immediately... Uh, a friend, uh, another speaker at that conference, Robert Morningstar, uh, delved into this story a little bit more and discovered that it's being investigated at the federal level because apparently Mr. McCandlish was scheduled to testify to some congressional inquiry. Now, I don't know if, the, if it was an official committee, but he was apparently scheduled to testify for some sort of congressional investigation and then all of a sudden turns up dead. And the thing that I find very unusual about this, Richard, is the parallel with George DeMorenschild, who was one of the people of interest to the, to the Senate and House committees on assassinations back in the 70s regarding the JFK assassination. DeMorenschild was scheduled to testify, and a few days before his, his testimony, he himself shows up dead, again, allegedly a suicide by shotgun to the head and you know the parallel here is just a little too much for me to swallow number one it would be very difficult for anyone to commit suicide by using a shotgun to their head you know you somehow have to pull the trigger so uh, it, it's it's just not making sense to me i'm not buying the narrative that this was uh, a suicide because he just mr mccandlish just did not strike me as the kind of individual that would do that and what was the nature of this Senate hearing? That I don't know. Uh, I'm simply conveying to you what Mor Mr. Morningstar has reported. And as far as I know, it was UFO-related, but there are no further details other than that. So and, I don't and know. For the, but. And the, uh, the ARV story, uh, can you, you tell us a little bit about that, the alien recovery vehicle? What is that story? This is a story that, that the, the alien recovery vehicle was a vehicle supposedly constructed, reverse-engineered, on the basis of supposed or alleged UFO crashes. So the alien reconstruction vehicle is actually, from top to bottom, a human-engineered vehicle. It was supposedly done out in California. I forget exactly where, but it's one of those... Uh, big installations down in Southern California around Helmdale and so on where they have all the skunk works. But uh, he was told about this story and given enough details that he was able to draw. And you can, you can go on, uh, on the blog that I wrote on my website about his death 
and see some of his work. It's it's very high quality work, you know, in terms of artistic representation. But he delved into it and and drew the interior of this vehicle that had allegedly been reverse engineered from UFOs. One of the things I found very interesting about it was that some of the physics he described in his presentations at San Mateo were very similar in their concept to some of the things that I believe were connected to the Nazi bell. Uh, and that, you know, that to me only kind of ratcheted up the uh, the possibility that what he was describing as the alien reconstruction vehicle was was actually something that they had tried or experimented with. So you're dealing with somebody. You know, he was not he was not really all that interested in ETs or not ETs or so on. He was simply trying to present the stories of the technology that he heard about. Uh, so that gives his work kind of a unique little niche in, in ufology. Right, right. So when this, you know, they, this document came out, it was um, a scientist who wrote uh, basically some notes after a meeting he had with the former, I believe it was the uh, former uh, intelligence chief with the Joint Chiefs of Staff who said he, he um, had uncovered this, um, the secret program. Uh, tried to get read in onto the program, was denied, even though he was the uh, head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs. And But he was told um, in a secret meeting that, uh, yes, uh, some agency had recovered UFO uh, technology, uh, but they weren't having much success in back engineering it. So it sounds like McClandlish was maybe uncovered something to suggest that Oh, oh, yes, they have. They've had a great deal of success. We have this technology now, and, and maybe, you know, that might explain um, these the Tic Tac uh, UFO videos, uh, even though the, the Pentagon is saying they're not ours, they're not ours. Well, maybe that well, kind yeah, of blows that, that out of the water. Well, the the Tic Tac videos, you know, and, and all of this stuff, I, you know, you can go look up patents online for triangular-shaped vehicles that use some form of field propulsion. What bothers me about all of this is not so much that the technology apparently does exist. What bothers me is the constant rush to attribute it to E.T. And what's interesting about Mr. McCandlish was he was never uh, never one to... to doubt the stories that he was being told, but his his real attitude was the nuts and bolts of it. He wanted to know about the technology, what made it work, what was the thinking behind it, and so on and so forth. And what's really very interesting about that alien reconstruction vehicle, at least from my perspective, is that there's nothing about it that tells me or compels me to go to E.T. as an explanation for it. So in other words, the the idea that this was a vehicle reconstructed on the basis of what they had they had recovered from crashed and recovered UF vehicle UFO vehicles um, that to me could be a cover story for what they're really up to. In other words, that this might be wholly a human product. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm increasingly skeptical, Richard, about. Uh, the ET narrative, particularly from governments that have been willing to lie to our faces about, you know, masks and vaccines and so on and so forth. So 
um, I think I think his his testimony might have perhaps endangered that narrative to some extent. I don't know. You know, I'm just speculating here. Are you are you thinking that the the technology exists and that that these are made in the good old USA, or are, did this technology find its way into the hands of our adversaries, Russia, China? Well, I think a lot of it, I, I go back to what I've been writing about in my Nazi series of books. I wrote a book uh, a few years ago that ufology loves to ignore. I, I, it's called Roswell and the Reich, and it's, it's about the Roswell incident. And my my take, Richard, is that I think we're looking at a lot of human technology that has been utilized in a kind of psychological warfare, uh, false flag, prep the narrative sort of way. Um, in fact, I wrote about that thesis in another book of mine called Saucers, Swastikas, and Psyops. Um, I, I think that possibility has to be entertained. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not, uh, I'm not philosophically opposed to the idea of E.T. or anything like that, but in my very cursory, admittedly very cursory examination of, of UFOs and, and various UFO stories, I have yet to be convinced by any of them that we are, must be compelled to conclude that a lot of these things are uh, extraterrestrial. I'm just, I'm just not yet convinced of that. Um, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I share I share your feelings on that. Uh, let's go back to the YouTube live stream chat room. And uh, YY checks in. She wants to go back to the uh, COVID discussion we had earlier. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any correlation with the vaccine and 5G rollout? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whopper. As a matter of fact, I, I have. Um, if if Wi-Fi remembers go back to the initial weeks when the the plan scandemic was you know the all the breaking news interestingly enough if you look at those early outbreaks and i'm thinking in particular in china iran and italy those outbreaks and you, you have to do a little digging wi-fi on on the internet to find this stuff because you know they they've they're long since passe in terms of the uh, in terms of the COVID narrative, but it was a few weeks after it started to break that you found these clusters of cases breaking out where there had already been a rollout of 5G. Hello? Did I get disconnected? Nope, sorry, that was me. That was uh, me hitting my mute button there. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, oh, you betcha. You betcha asks, Joseph, how do you compare COVID vaccine passports compared to the longstanding requirement to have your kids get a vaccine to go to school or vaccines for yellow fever to travel? Which is an interesting point. So, you know, in other words, why are we getting all upset about and worked up about vaccine passports? In many jurisdictions, your children must be vaccinated to go to school and you have to have a yellow vaccine to, to travel. Well, I'm getting worked up about it simply because of the nature of what these vaccines are. They're not, and I'm referring to the mRNA vaccines. These are not standard vaccines in any, any traditional sense at all. 
these are highly experimental vaccines, and they admit as much. And this is the reason they've been exempted from, you know, the normal uh, long-term trials and so on. So I'm extremely skeptical in that instance. And number two, I, I simply don't buy the universality of, of vaccines. I grew up, uh, as many people in the United States did, in a state where this was not a requirement. Uh, in fact, the only vaccine I've ever had in my life is, is the polio vaccine, the Sabin vaccine when I was very young. Uh, I've not had uh, any vaccine ever since that. Um, so it's not a, an entirely universal experience. So, you know, I, I, I question that as well. I'm not worked up about the idea of vaccines. What I'm worked up is the idea of these vaccines being mandated with a passport that you, you have to be vaccinated against this COVID uh, to be able to shop and so on and so forth. Because right. I have yet to convince that, that we're even dealing with COVID, you know, look into, look into the actual uh, facts about the pathology of this thing. Have they actually proven that this is a virus and have they proven that this is the virus causing these effects? Right, right, and the and the passport isn't just for travel, as you as you right. say. It, it it is increasingly clear that there are a number of uh, businesses right. that uh, are going to require you to 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 have a passport just to you know participate in um, in normal activities. Yeah. So yeah, that's this, that's very concerning you know, this, as well. This is, yeah, this is just plain old fashioned tyranny, and you know I'm, I've got bad news for them. I ain't doing it. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to kill me. Uh, D. Silver asks, how does the shedding uh, from those who receive the vax affect others around them? I don't know if you're um, aware willing to answer the, that. Well, I'm aware of the stories, Richard, and I've been trying on my, on my website to follow this story as closely as I can and to post articles every now and then of, of things that I think are... Uh, trustworthy enough for people to you know to study the shedding stuff is so new i have not yet made up my mind about it. i haven't seen enough information to really make any conclusion now i suspect strongly that this is the case because of the nature of the like we said earlier the nature of these mrna vaccines they are literally tweaking your body to produce this stuff so in other words, you, you become vaccinated and you're actually much more possible to, to be shedding this stuff than not. But uh, as, as for the mechanism and the vector of how this works and why it's working in this fashion, I have not seen enough yet to, to make any conclusion about it. All right. I want to get back into um, matters involving space and uh, specifically Mars. Uh, you, you posted a uh, blog, I'm not sure how long ago, it wasn't too long ago, uh, discussing some rather interesting formations that you've spotted on, uh, on Mars. First, there, there was uh, some discussion about some ice uh, formations on the planet, and uh, that led you to look a little further, and, and what did you spy? Well, the, I think the blog that you're referring to is called Barsoom Shrooms, <laughs> Barsoom Mushrooms. Uh, right, right. Well, there, there, there was another one called Meanwhile Back on Mars, More Perfectly Natural Formations. But yes, oh, yeah. the other one as well. Yeah. Well, the Barsoom Shrooms thing is, is this very odd set of pictures that 
appear to depict these bulbous-like things in the tracks of, of the rover itself that weren't there uh, when it, you know, it comes strolling on by. And then all of a sudden they are there in the tracks. And this led some scientists to conclude that are they looking at some form of fungus you know, some form of mushroom that's growing on the surface. Now, it's, you know, it's a bit of fun, but they do raise an interesting point. How can you have natural rock formations, which is NASA's explanation, of course, suddenly appearing in the, in the tracks of the rover when they weren't there before? <laughs> you know? So right, right. it does look like something is growing, whether or not it's mushrooms or not, we don't know. But the other, uh, if I remember correctly, the other blog that you're referring to is about some pictures that were shown on Mars and again Richard you've you've got to look at these pictures and forget the narrative that the, that anyone's trying to tell you me or NASA or anyone else just look with your eyes and see if you can find things that don't look like they should belong there in other words do they really look all that natural and one of these things was NASA saying that well this is a bunch of ice crystals that we're looking at well, for one thing, if you look at the way ice forms and crystals, usually it forms in a hexagonal pattern, you know, snowflakes, for example. And none of these things look like any sort of natural ice crystal in that respect because a lot of these things are very rectilinear, <laughs> you know, 90-degree right, angles right. and so on and so forth. So, again, um, it's it's very, very odd that you see so much of this stuff on the surface of Mars. And, you know, you know me. I think that these are actual artificial remains of some sort from somebody that lived up there long, long ago. I mean, you know, I've never hesitated to tell people what I think about Mars. But what's really interesting here, Richard, and I'm going to give your listeners a clue, this coming Tuesday I have a blog coming up on my website about some travel posters that NASA <laughs> that NASA came up with. And they have a bunch of travel posters for Enceladus and Europa, you know, all the Venus and so on and so forth. And you've got to admit that these travel posters have a bit of a sense of humor to them. But what's very interesting is that the travel poster for Mars at the top reads, visit all the historic sites. <laughs> and, and then at the bottom, it says, art, culture, architecture, agriculture. <laughs> so, <coughs> pardon me, either Mars, or pardon me, either NASA's having... Joseph, I'm going to let you get a, a glass of water. Just um, no, I'm, coincidentally, I'm we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm, we're heading into a break. We're going to head oh, into a okay. break anyway, so okay. we're we're, uh, we're good. All right, back with more of my conversation with Joseph Farrell, and uh, we'll talk more on uh, cosmic warfare, the secret space program, uh, much more to come. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Joseph Farrell stays with us. Death, uh, Death Star Sorry, GizaDeathStar.com, GizaDeathStar.com, and um, also his YouTube channel, 
news and views from the Nefarium. So we were talking about Mars and a little bit about the secret space program. You mentioned Catherine uh, Austin Fitz uh, earlier and the the missing trillions, something like $21 trillion missing from uh, the U.S. government. Um, So is it your belief that that much of this money is being funneled into the secret space secret space program for what the construction of deep space platforms and so forth sure uh, and I apologize for my coughing spell there that's I'm okay just laughing so hard about the Mars poster but uh, no I, I do think that and here's why um, I she and I kind of bumped into this problem from completely opposite ends um, and that's why that's why we kind of connected because we both realize that there's a lot of money missing. And the way I view things, Richard, is money flows are like an electrical circuit. You put power in at the load end, and it pops, pardon me, you put the power in at the power end, and it pops out at the load end. And if not enough power is popping out at the load end, then it's going somewhere else. You know, you've either got a short in the system, that, and it's bleeding power somewhere, but that's the problem. So if we go back to, to let's say, the bailouts in 2008, they pumped an enormous amount of money into the system, or did they? Because the, the amounts of money should have shown up as massive inflation, and yet it hasn't. And now, you know, I just mentioned the 17, you know, or 14, whatever amount of quadrillions of dollars you want to go with here. That amount of money in, is still sloshing around in the system as derivatives. So Mr. Globaloney or Mr. Bankster has a huge problem, and I think that's one of the things behind this Great Reset stuff, because if you want to get away with a heist like that, take everybody to digital currency and keep yourselves behind a one-way mirror, and you can basically do whatever you wish. But my problem is, still, that money should be showing up somewhere, somehow, and yet it's not. So I've actually speculated... um, that somehow this money may actually be going off-world. How? I don't know. But I do find it very, very interesting to ponder the fact that the European nations, Germany in particular, are talking about opening up 4G and 5G networks on the moon, you know, and putting up the satellite network to make that work, and so on and so forth. So my question is, who are we doing commerce with up there? Mm, a breakaway civilization. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my thinking. And somehow they they need this system to work in order to carry out and conduct the commerce that may already be involved in it. And and I know that sounds wild and woolly, but if you stop and think about it, not so much, especially if they're talking about going out and mining asteroids. Right, right. Uh, so where are the whistleblowers? We had um, McKinnon, I guess it was. Was it McKinnon in Great Britain who uh, yep. hacked into the Pentagon computers and found evidence of, of a secret space program and so forth? And, and uh, uh, we have, you know, from time to time we hear about these seemingly crazy stories. Uh, you know, I'm sorry for people to believe them. But I just find them just too outlandish. Someone like, you know, Captain Randy Kramer who claims that he was – um, you know, a soldier on Mars and so forth. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's some credibility there. But, uh, uh, um, but where are the whistleblowers? The 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 credible whistleblowers um, that are the, that that can tell us about these deep space platforms, deep space colonies, seek, uh, and this breakaway civilization. Richard, 
I'm I'm glad you said that because I've wondered the same thing. We've got whistleblowers in every other field, but the ones here are always telling some crazy yarn. And that makes me wonder to what lengths then are they willing to go in order to keep all this stuff secret if indeed the these so-called whistleblowers that are telling their crazy yarns are coming up with such craziness in order to keep people from really really considering the possibility that we may have something out there now you mentioned gary mckinnon mckinnon claimed to have hacked into the department of defense and discovered an entire secret space fleet with the names of the captains and the names of the ships and so on and that sounds like yet another crazy yarn except If you go back and read Ronald Reagan's memoirs, he mentions in the memoirs, I think it was around 1986-87, that he had been told by the Pentagon that the United States had a space lift capacity at that time of 300 people. In other words, it could move 300 people in space at that time. Well, if you look at the state of the space shuttle fleet at that time, we were at best, perhaps, capable of moving 40. At best. So wow. in other words, either Reagan is telling, letting something out that he shouldn't have let out and telling us the truth, or he's letting out a bit of disinformation to make, you know, Soviet Russia, Communist China think twice. One of the two. Now, I happen to think he probably was letting out something genuine uh, because I suspect that the censors, you know, for whatever reason, weren't paying too much attention to Ronnie at that point because he was a little, you know, he was a little bit like like Biden at that point in time. But um, I, I, I suspect that there we had a little whistleblower moment. Interesting, interesting. And that's 30... 34 years ago. I mean, (laughs) what what capabilities do they have now? Uh, Solar Warden wants your take on Bob Lazar and his account of uh, Area 51. I have always uh, said, Solar Warden, that I'm very suspicious of that whole narrative, and here's why. Lazar claims to have taken samples of an element that he claims at S-4 was used to propel the saucers that he claims to see, or to have seen. And the element was Unum Pentium, element 115, all right? And then later on, his stories elaborated by uh, John Lear, that they had uh, taken some of this element 115 and kept it in Lazar's home for about half an hour before they did something else with it. Now, here's my problem with that story. If you go to any standard physics reference book, element 115 has indeed been synthesized. Uh, I believe it was first synthesized in, in Darmstadt, Germany, sometime after Lazar's story. And it's one of those heavy elements that are beyond the transuranic element series where the half-life of the element becomes longer and the element becomes more stable but the problem is the half-life is still nowhere near long enough for anybody to be able to keep a sample of it for half an hour (laughs) 
that's my mm. problem with Bob Lazar. Disinformation officer, or a dis- disinformation agent, rather. Do you suspect? Yeah, yeah that's what I suspect, yes. So I uh, interviewed a couple of, uh, there's, a, there's an organization of former uh, people who worked at either Wright Pad or uh, Groom Lake or Area 51. They're called the Roadrunners. And, uh, of course, they would neither confirm or deny that they worked at Area 51, but they worked on the spy plane program and so forth. And uh, they were adamant that the whole UFO uh, narrative was concocted in order to throw people off of what was really happening in Area 51. In other words, you know, that we, we, we've, we've had this technology for a very long time. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't require back engineering crashed vehicles from extraterrestrials. We're doing this. It's ours. What are your thoughts? Well, I tend to agree with that. Um, you've got to go back to the early period of the U-2 flights. Uh, that's when I, I believe that the American intelligence community began to push this idea that these lights that we're seeing traveling super fast in the sky are extraterrestrial as a deflection from technology that they wanted to keep secret. Uh, so I, I tend to agree with that. But the other thing is that we have to take into consideration statements of people like Ben Rich, the former head of, of the Lockheed Skunk Works. Toward the end of his life, he allegedly made statements to the effect, well, you know, we found an error in the equations, and now we can take E.T. home, and so on and so forth. And these claims are there. I happen to think that if you study the people involved in the American Black Project's research world in this advanced aeronautic technology, you know, people like Ben Ridge, people like Thomas Townsend Brown, and so on and so forth, and do a little digging into what they were thinking, in Brown's case, way back in the 1920s. It's clear that there is a, a pattern of thought, of development, of conceptualization of, of basic things in physics that we would regard today as, as science fiction. But these were very serious people, and they were thinking these things, and they were writing about them. So, you know, with enough money and with enough uh, commitment for a long-term project, could they have pulled some of these things off? I think probably the answer is yes. All right. Another time out, Joseph. Back on the other side, more of our discussion. Thanks so much for hanging with us for the full two hours. Appreciate it. More questions from the YouTube live chat. And uh, also, phone lines still available, 416-360-0740-1-866-744-740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, Joseph, I want to go back to um, one of your blogs, recent blogs on GizaDeathStar.com, and it's, it's entitled The Physiology of Precognition, and... Um, as you point out, it's a it's a wild article uh, that I guess someone shared with you, and it, it has to do with these scientists who have discovered that the heart and brain can respond 
to future events, obviously, before they happen. Tell me more. Well, I find that very interesting because it it seems to present a physiological case that, that the structure of the brain and the heart, and, and they're very, very similar, somehow represent or mirror the the fabric of the universe. And the reason I find that very interesting is you can go online and look at pictures of galactic clusters and what they think are the plasma strands that connect them and then compare those pictures to actual neural mapping of neurons in the brain and they're remarkably similar. Yes. And this is this is not the only case that we have where macrocosmic structures, you know, very large structures mirror very small structures because I I pointed out in the cosmic war that if you look at the structures the spiral structures of galaxies and then compare them to pictures of plasmas generated in the laboratory again you're seeing some remarkable correspondence so i suspect that there is or may be a physiological basis to what we ordinarily call precognition simply because the way that our 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 brains are designed they tap into that that lattice work of the universe and I've always viewed that, Richard, as not so much a field of energy, but a field of information. And Interesting. Once you, yeah. Once you kind of latch onto that idea, then it becomes possible to consider these things may not be as paranormal as, as we've been told. They may be entirely natural, which I think is probably the case. So let me just desc- <clears throat> describe the, uh, this experiment. As part of the experiment in physiological responses to future events, participants were made to sit at a computer screen and then were shown pictures of either a calming or emotion-evocative nature. And this procedure was then repeated. The pictures remained on the screen for three seconds, and in every run, the pictures were presented in randomized order. The results were astounding. The results of the experiment were uh, fascinating, to say the least. The participants' brains and hearts responded to information about the emotional quality of the pictures before the computer flashed them. This means the heart and brain were both responding to future events. The results indicated the responses happened on average 4.8 seconds before the computer selected the pictures. Why isn't this front-page news? Well, I think, again, Richard, it's because we, at least publicly... Science is loath to go beyond the materialistic paradigm. But yet, when you, when you look at all of the stuff going on in physics, you know, just look at the stuff that went on in the Soviet Union, of all places, that supposedly is dedicated, you know, to atheistic materialism, and yet they're doing these extraordinary experiments in, in what we would call paranormal and documenting these types of abilities, telekinesis, uh, and so on and so forth, and and even precognition in some cases. So I think I think it's such a huge challenge to a scientist brought up in a materialistic paradigm that they just don't even want to go there. And yet, you know, there it is. So I think I think if you really look at things, we're not only in a big paradigm shift, you know, with COVID and with great resets and so on and so forth. The other reason I think that Mr. Globaloni is in such a hurry is they realize that materialistic paradigm might be breaking down, 
and breaking down big time. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, can you give me, I don't know, an example? What do you mean it's breaking down? Like, well, what, what you, is a, what, go ahead. And consider, stop and consider the implications of that experiment. If you have a, a natural inbuilt ability so for some sort of precognition, and if that ability can be tweaked, then all of your materialistic measures to control the thought, the emotion, and so on of humanity are going to go right out the window. Because that ability is, is coming, as I, as I suggested, not so much from within the structure of the brain or the heart, but rather those things are, are transducers of information in the field at large, in other words, in the universe at large. So you're never going to be able to turn it off. And it's, it's going to be able to seep in somehow. All you can do at best, perhaps, is jam the signal, and maybe that's what they're up to. You know, Maybe that's why they're in such a hurry. But that's, that's my basic speculation as of this moment as to why I think this might be more about things that they're afraid of happening, and we've got to move and implement our control mechanisms quickly or we're going to lose it. So uh, are, you, are we talking about here uh, this, a divine connection that, that we have? I think so, yes. You know, um, made in the image and likeness of God. And if, if that be so, then that means that there is some sort of intimate connection between humanity and the structure of the universe at large. You know, this is a very ancient idea. I mean, it's not new with me. Uh, you can go back and read it in, in the ancient Greek philosophers, the idea that man is a microcosm of, of the whole universe in some form or fashion. So it's not really all that new of an idea. What I'm suggesting is is that science seems to be in fits and starts getting back to that idea or maybe being dragged back to that idea, kicking and screaming all the way. You know? but, but that's what I think might be going on here. Right. And uh, you point out in this blog, you know, that a number of people have made the comment with this mRNA vaccine, mm -hmm. they've killed God. Yes. Yes, that's right. All right, we'll pick up on that uh, on, on the other side and other matters. Joseph Farrell stays with us. Uh, one more segment remains. We'll get back to some more YouTube live chat questions as well. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, Joseph, we're going to return to the YouTube live chat. A question from GBGN1. I love these handles. GBGN1. Uh, well, he wants to uh, uh, discuss a, a topic I know that's near and dear to your heart, and that's Antarctica. Uh, Buzz Aldrin said he saw absolute evil when he was down in Antarctica. Uh, do uh, Does Dr. Farrell have any input on this or any feeling on this? Did he actually say that? Is that true? Well, I have heard that he did. Now, I've also heard that there are people that dispute that that was genuine. But whether he did say it or didn't say it, I do know that he did say prior to getting on the plane that would take him to Antarctica, we're off to the launch pad. Now, 
That's a strange statement. Does he mean by launch pad the airplane that's going to take him to Antarctica, or does he mean that Antarctica is some sort of launch pad? <laughs> you know, this is right, right. This is the question that hovers over the, his remarks. But what I find interesting is that something is going on down there, and we are not being told what it is. Because, you know, I've pointed out over and over, Richard, that there is a very strange list of people associated with that place. We've got Buzz Aldrin, John Kerry, who interrupts a diplomatic junket in 2016 during one of the most hotly contested elections in American history to go to Antarctica, and we're told that he, the reason he did that is because he wanted to look at global climate change up close and firsthand. Now, I'm sorry, I'm you know, this is the Secretary of State. He can call any number of assistants at his office in, in Washington, D.C., and get all the data that he would ever need about global warming, climate change, and so on and so forth. So something's going on there. Then you have Admiral Byrd and Operation High Jump. You have uh, some of the British royals going to Antarctica. You've got King Juan Carlos going down to Antarctica. Uh, you've got... You've got, of all people, uh, Herman Goering sponsoring that Nazi expedition down there. And again, you know, Herman Goering is not sponsoring a science uh, science fair expedition, and he's not the type of individual even to be remotely interested in sponsoring expeditions to go down there and get whale oil and a bunch of other lubricants. You know, he can turn that over to any assistant that he wants. But when you look at the strange number of people involved with the place, it adds up to quite a list. And the question is, why the list of what's going on down there? And crazy as it sounds, I think that John Kerry might be the clue. He he went down there on a diplomatic junket, so I'm thinking, well, is he conducting diplomacy there? And if so, with who? And why go there? Well, one reason you would go there is it's pretty neutral and it's absolutely so strictly controlled as to who can get in and get out of there that if you're wanting to conduct a secret round of diplomacy with whomever, that's where you'd do it. So I, I do suspect that there is something going on, but as for Buzz Aldrin's statement about uh, what he saw was absolute evil, um, I don't know if that's true or not. But if, it, if he did say it, then it's a huge clue. Negotiation, diplomatic negotiations with whom? Are we talking about uh, the Nazi international? It could be anybody. Um, now, I'm not one of those, please let me clear the record, I'm not one of those that believes that the Nazis had a secret UFO base or a secret submarine pen or anything of the sort in, in Antarctica during the war for the plain and simple reason that it would have been logistically a nightmare for the Germans to have supplied anything like that, much less, you know, a much more capable naval power like Great Britain or the United States. It just would have been a logistical nightmare. But that said, you do have that group of people in southern Argentina at that time. You, you certainly have the ability to, to cloak activities and, and things of that sort. It's either that or someone else is down there, Richard, and, and you know, someone else could be, <laughs> could be anybody from under the earth or off planet. Who knows? I don't. Right, right. There's also rumors that there is a, an enormous craft that is emerging from the melting ice down there, and, and uh, this is what people are going to have a look at. What have you heard on that, 
uh, well, I've score. heard that. You know, that was that was actually the 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 theme of of the uh, first X Files movie, that there was actually an enormous craft buried in the ice. But you know, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. But by the same token, Richard, uh, if a few years ago there were all of these people on the internet claiming to find very very curious things that had apparently been blotted out of Google Earth but that you could find if you knew how to look for them because they were hiding these files within other files on Google Earth, or so the story went. And some of the pictures that they were producing were of gigantic fossilized remains or secret bases and so on and so forth. I don't know if any of that's true, but it's there. You know, I'm just adding a little bit more data to your question. I, I don't have any uh, conclusion one way or another about it. But very obviously, there is something going on down there, and, and very obviously, they are not talking about it. So as you cover these stories, whether we're talking about uh, COVID or the Great Reset or the missing trillions or, you know, the manipulation in the gold uh, market and disappearing gold and, and so forth, are you, are you uh, fearful for our future, our immediate future, or are you... Um, I mean, how do you feel about it? Do you think that the good guys will win out in the end? Well, for the short term, I'm 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 very skeptical and and very anxious. I, I will be blunt and say that. But for the long term, no, I'm not fearful because what Mr. Globaloni or whoever's up to all of this nonsense is really trying to create is an inhuman and anti-human uh, future. And ultimately, barring any sort of, of external intervention, ultimately, humanity always throws that stuff off somehow. So in that sense, I'm optimistic, because when you look at Mr. Globaloni, the Klaus Schwabs, and so on of the world, uh, what they're trying to implement and put into place is, is quite simply anti-human. And I think this is what's scaring them and why they're moving so fast right now, because people are waking up and seeing just how inhuman it really is. Uh, GizaDeathStar.com. From time to time, you have uh, some of these vid chats on uh, on the YouTube channel. Do you have any coming up? Uh, I've got one coming up next week. Now, people should know that the vid chats are for members only, for paying members of the website. But uh, I do spend a lot of time uh, with those vid chats. In other words, these are not these are not your uh, one-hour things. These are these are long and involved, and we get into some pretty interesting types of philosophical discussions in these things. But yeah, that, I have another one coming up next week, and I usually have uh, Richard about three a month. All right. Do you want to tease what this one's uh, this one is about coming up uh, next well, week? I never know what they're about because people submit me questions. And ah. So, you know, I, I know what they're about. They're going to be about about a day beforehand. So, so I never know what they're thinking, you know. And trust me, they I have a really good group of people that are, are really good dot connectors and thinkers, but I never know what they're about. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. And so, again, people can register at Giza, or GizaDeathStar.com? Right, right. All right. And uh, just very quickly, tell us a little bit more about the Tower of Babel moment, uh, your latest. Well, that uh, was suggested by a comment made in a series of lectures back in the 1970s, believe it or not, by Leonard Bernstein. He called it the Tower of Babel moment of history. But basically, what I do in the book is I go through the biblical story and then some other texts that recount the story, 
and and look at the look at the story from the standpoint of politics involved if if that makes any sense sure all right so uh available at amazon i'm guessing uh no that's available on lulu ah all right the tower of babel moment well joseph thank you uh, so much for being uh, so generous with your time two hours it's a long stretch a lot of talking and uh, we appreciate it it's been too long and thank you so much for coming back on Thank you very much, Richard, for having me back. I enjoyed it. All right. Joseph P. Farrell, GizaDeathStar.com. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Ryan and Carlos back next week with another live program, God willing. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. What I say in a whisper. <laughs> what do I say in a whisper? <laughs> Proclaim from the housetops. There you go. All right. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.